Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah. Isaiah, chapter 6. Isaiah, chapter 6. Could we stand for the reading of the word? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up in his train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Then he said, Woe am I, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. And I heard all, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. Father, we pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of the word. Pray, God, that the anointing which only comes through the Holy Ghost would be upon each of us. We pray that your word would come alive in our hearts, that our spirits would be stirred up, that, God, we would be encouraged, we would be challenged, that, God, you would uh, accomplish that for which you have purposed this word in each of us, that, God, our ears would be open to hear it and that our hearts would receive it. God, may the anointing now rest upon each of us and upon this pastor in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Quickly, how many here have ever had a heavenly vision? Once you've had a vision of God, once you have had this heavenly divine vision, you can never quite be the same again. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw
It's during the time of mourning and distress that Isaiah had a wonderful vision. He saw the Lord sitting upon a throne and his train filled the temple. It must have been a magnificent scene. The seraphims. The place was filled with smoke and he heard the words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The vision turned defeat into victory. And I believe that in our day of shame and sorrow, that our, a new revelation would turn our country around, turn our lives around. It would give us new hope. Let's look at how this unfolds. Let's look at the transformation that came about. First of all, Isaiah had an upward look. He had an upward look. It was in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. Someone said, it's not the outlook, but the uplook that counts. F.B. Meyer said, the best answer to self-consciousness is God-consciousness. When we are busy having a pity party, feeling sorry for ourselves, it's an indication that we need a new heavenly vision. Proverbs 29 verse 18 said, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Men today need a heavenly vision. Men need to know the truth in order to do the will of God. And earthly knowledge is not enough. What we need is a new revelation. Men cannot discover heavenly truth without the aid of the Holy Spirit. It must be revealed to each of us. God has not left his people to grope in gross darkness. If we need light, the only thing we need to do is pray for it and open this Bible. There are heavenly revelations in this book. And I believe that the lack of prayerful study 
is the problem. Amen? Hallelujah. Jesus said, When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. People were looking to Uzziah for leadership. They were depending on Uzziah. But now, Uzziah was dead. What were they going to do? They had put all their, all their hope, all their faith in a man. What were they going to do? Uzziah was dead. It was at this time that Isaiah saw the Lord was really in control. He had a vision that God was the one that was on the throne. And we've got to get that vision that it's not man, it's God that's on the throne. He's in control. Hallelujah. He's in control of your life. Did you know that? He's in control of my life. He's in control of this church. He's in control of everything that goes on in our country. We may think it's all out of control. But like Uzziah, we need to see God sitting on the throne. He's still directing. He's still guiding. He's still commanding. He's still saying, and it happens. Amen. Hallelujah. You see, I think a lot of problems come when we begin to fail to trust God. No matter what that's for, whatever, if we fail to trust God, it brings depression. It brings lack of joy. We need to trust God. God's still on the throne. That's the good news this morning. God is on the throne. Amen. Hallelujah. Romans 14, 23 says, For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And we need to see that. We need to recognize that. We need to acknowledge that. That if I'm not living by faith, not trusting God, it's sin. And these people... In Isaiah's day, we're trusting a man. They were not trusting God. There was a sin there. The second thing we see is he had an uh, He looked outward. Verse five. Then he said, "Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips." And I dwell in the midst of people of unclean, of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, 
the Lord of hosts. He begins to realize that he had sinned against the Lord. He had failed to trust the Lord. All of a sudden, Isaiah saw truth that he'd never saw before. He saw God as holy and just and true and sitting on the throne. And he'd been speaking things as well as his, his countrymen, they had been probably saying things that were not true. The problem was not with God, it was in their own hearts. Man must be indeed perfect, never to offend in word. Turn with me to James 3. James chapter 3, verse 2. For we are, we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. How many here has never said anything that you wish you'd have just kept your mouth shut. You know the old saying, open mouth, insert foot? I do that all the time. Pull one foot out and stick the other foot in. And I wish I could draw back those words. And I, I just kind of regret the words that were said. You know, the tongue being in a wet place is prone to slip. A loose tongue often gets its owner in tight places. Once there was a man who was introducing Thomas Edison. So he got up and he was telling about all the wonderful inventions that Thomas Edison had, had invented. And then he went on to uh, tell, uh, and he went to great uh, lengths to tell about the talking machine. Finally, he got to the point where it was Mr. Edison's turn to get up and the inventor came forth and he said, I've got to insist on a correction, although I appreciate all the good things that was said. There's one correction, God invented the talking machine. I just invented one that can be shut off. I know sometimes about noon you wish you could shut it off. But I believe God has something to say to us through this scripture this morning. Isaiah felt that he had offended God. Not only Isaiah, but he felt that his countrymen had offended God. He said, I live amongst 
people of on I'm I've got unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. In other words, we've been saying things that are not so. And fire is the symbol of purification. And Isaiah saw himself as unworthy to be God's spokesman. Purging and purification were necessary. And we see it in verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken and the thong, uh, with the thongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. First John. If you'll turn back there with me. First John. You want to hold your place in Isaiah, we'll be coming back. But in First John, chapter 1, and verse 4. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Powerful, powerful. These things, John says, I have written unto you that your joy might be full. We want to have this joy. We want to have uh, this, this happiness in our lives. But the only way to have joy is by knowing the forgiveness of the Lord. A proper relationship with God will bring joy. Uh, Psalm 16:11 says, "In your presence is fullness of joy." Let me ask you a question this morning. You don't have to raise your hand. Just think about it. Be honest with yourself. We don't want to deceive ourselves. Has the joy kind of gone out? of your life out of your Christianity. You know, if joy has gone out, it's a, it just might be an indication that sin has come in. John 
1.9 here says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we see here that Isaiah confessed his sin. God, I see it. I'm a man of unclean lips. I've spoken things that are not right about you. And I live in a, in a nation of people that are of unclean lips. Who have not trusted you. Who have not placed their faith in you. And then he got this look outward. First of all, he had the upward look, the inward look, now the outward look. Verse 8. Also, plus the vision, that's why the also. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, once your sins are gone, oh, all of a sudden you can hear God again. You can have this fellowship with God again. Hallelujah. And I heard the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Someone wrote these words that says, There is none so fit to display the other to display to others the riches and the power of the gospel of grace as those influenced by that grace those who have had an experience with that grace those who have been touched by the finger of god In Isaiah, in verse 7, it says, Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Glory! What a, what a tremendous thing! Hallelujah! I can just see him dancing around and shouting and getting all excited. My sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. What a good feeling that is. To know that your sins are forgiven. It's like a, a big weight taken off from you. And all of a sudden you feel so good. You just got to run out and tell somebody. My sins have been forgiven. Not because of what I did. Because he took a coal from off the altar and touched me. Hallelujah. A live coal. From off the altar. Jesus was the one that was sacrificed on the altar. He's the one that's alive. And I've been touched. 
I've been purged from my sins. What a wonderful feeling. Glory to God. Turn with me to Luke 7. Luke 7. Then one of the Pharisees, starting in verse six, uh, 36, rather. Luke 7, 36. Then one of the Pharisees said to him, uh, or asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask, a flask and of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and to wipe them with her hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two de debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50 and when they had nothing with which to repay he freely forgave them both tell me therefore which of them will love him more Simon answered and said I suppose the one whom he forgave more and he said to him you have rightly judged go over to verse 47 Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth us. Romans 5, 5 says, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. And I just believe that the hallmark of Christianity ought to be love. First John 4, 7, and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and he, everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Love is the strongest force on this earth, I believe. It was love that sent Jesus to the cross. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Love causes us to do, to react, to, to respond. It was love that kept Jesus on the cross. You know, we think of the nails that was run through his hands and his feet. But that wasn't what held Jesus on that cross. It was love. It was love. He could have called 10,000 angels. And they would have come to his defense. He didn't have to go to the cross. He went to the cross willingly. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And he did it willingly. Hallelujah. And I believe that it was this same kind of love that caused Isaiah to respond in the manner in which he did here in verse 8. Who shall I send? And who will go for us? All of a sudden it was clear God was going to do something, but God needed a man. And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Hallelujah. Well, God is still sending men and women into the world. And I thank God for our overseas programs. I thank God for every ministry that is that has been set up for every pastor for every every church worker but God is calling people today to go go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and behold I'll be with you always God wants dedicated people this morning. And if you have a heavenly vision and you have felt the call of God and, and you feel that response in your soul that, oh, my sins are forgiven. If you can't feel that joy and that, and that response, then you by all needs need to come to the altar and, and, and have Jesus touch you again with the fire from off the altar. Oh, how we need that. The church has become cold. And the Christian witness has become almost non-existent. We need a fresh touch of the Holy Ghost. We need a touch 
of the fire from the altar. We need a new heavenly vision. Which is what I'm the words that God has given me. Won't you respond? Won't you come to the altar now? Won't you just gather up here? He says, they that say they have no sin, they, they make God a liar. Let's come and have our sins purged. Let's get a fresh touch from the altar. Let's let the fire of God come down upon us. Let's let the joy spring up within us. And the, God is saying, who will go? Who will go? Will you respond and say, yeah, God's talking to me this morning. I'll go. While Pat comes to the piano, I want you to just come right out of your seats and come up here and get a fresh touch. Start by confessing your sins and, and expecting God to give you a heavenly vision. Expecting God to touch you right down deep and, and uh, the fire of God to come down upon you. Won't you come? Can't you hear the voice of the Lord saying, Who will go? Who will go? Who shall I send? Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. 